Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and uh, here for another episode of Royals Review Radio. Today, we're lucky enough to have on with us Joshua Briscoe. He has a new show in the Kansas City area on 1510 ESPN uh, and on 99.3 FM uh, called Almost Entirely Sports, which you can catch weekdays from 4 to 6 p.m. Joshua, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, I'm happy to, Max. Now, you've you've been on various uh, properties that I've been on recently. So uh, it's, I would say it's only fair, but I'm not going to be able to bring like the, the kind of royal heat to this that you bring whatever I need you most. So it's, 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 the, it's the least I can do. Well, yeah, I'm just glad to finally have the tables turned and have you answering some of the questions. I feel like you put me on the hot seat a little bit there. Well, I want to talk a little bit about sports media. That's kind of why I want to bring you on. But um, let's, let's first start talking about those, those roller coaster royals. I know we've had kind of an up-and-down season where they've had the, just the awful, awful start, but then they rebounded and had that sensational July that made us all think, well, we're going to have another run, and things have kind of fallen apart here again in August. But despite it all, they're only a game and a half out of a wild-card spot here with about six weeks to go. I mean, just kind of taking, you know, we kind of get our, you know, close in the, uh, in the weeds, I think, on these, these things. I think you're, you're, you're probably taking more of a big picture look at the Royals, kind of taking a look at them. How do you, how do you kind of see this, these final six weeks playing out, and, and do they look like a playoff team to you? I think the last six weeks will play out like the first uh, entire existence of this season. The, the thing that I've, I've gotten made fun of this recently by myself and then by my various producers for, for honking my own horn, tooting my own horn too much on this, so I, I'm going to try to say this as, as non-tooty as possible. So I've been saying the exact same thing about the Royals since spring training, which is that they do a lot of things well. Everything is all right. That, that's sort of the place that I'm at with the Royals. So with that in mind, they're a 500 team. They're an average baseball team. That's the bad news. The good news is that in the American League, at least one average team is going to make the playoffs. So I, I do think that the Royals are actually in a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent to end up getting that second wild card spot because who has more experience at, at chasing, down, chasing down a playoff spot late in the season. These Royals or the Angels or the Mariners or the Blue Jays, all of these teams that are in the mix there, I actually think the Royals have a little bit of a leg up on them. So I I think they're a thoroughly average baseball team, and I think that's probably going to be enough to get you uh, at least going to Yankee Stadium for one playoff game. And, you know, that at least gives you a chance for more than that. Yeah, I think considering how the season started out, I mean, it's kind of amazing we're even talking about that kind of scenario. But I am, I'm a little interested in seeing how Royals fans react if the team makes the playoffs as like an 84-win team or 83-win team. Like, this is a team that won the World Series two years ago. And, like, in 2014, I think we were just thrilled to make the playoffs. But how do you think Royals fans sure. are going to react this time around when we, if we make the playoffs and, and they, they have just 83 wins and are playing a Yankee team that's probably going to have around 90 wins? Uh, do you think there's – what kind of, you know, excitement do you think there's going to be in Kansas City over that? I think that it's kind of – and this is – I'm a little biased because I, I love football. Football sort of takes over for me whenever I see it on the horizon. But I feel like right now the kind of, like, Royals fever is, is kind of broken, I guess, to take that metaphor too far. Like, I, I understand I understand excitement on good games and everything, but even today I was, I was doing pregame and postgame, baseball tonight on Sports Radio 810 today, um, and – 
the post-game calls after the win were, were largely negative. It was calls about how this team has too many problems. It was calls about how Ned Yost, it, it's unbelievable how he still won't just give the keys to the outfielder, Jorge Bonifacio, stuff like that. So what I'm seeing with the, with the Royals fan reaction to having an average team, one of criticism and to say, well, here's how this team could be better. And I actually think that's pretty noble. This is a little bit of a, a tangent, but one of the biggest problems that I have with with Kansas City as like a sports fan market, and I say this as an insider, I've lived in Kansas my whole life, I've been a Kansas City sports fan my whole life, but even from that perspective, it drives me absolutely nuts whenever Chiefs fans and Royals fans especially basically do the Alex Smith shrug, which is, yeah, things could be better, I mean, they're not a Super Bowl or a World Series contender, but, you know, they win games. What else can you ask for? And I actually think the Royals fans at this point are setting the better example, saying, no, Jorge Soler uh, uh, should not be on this team. Wade Davis should be. Greg Holland should have gotten another chance. This bullpen's not good enough. This rotation's not good enough. David Glass should have spent more money here or here. Ned Yo should do this differently. And I admire that line of thinking because it's not settling for mediocrity. And settling for mediocrity, is it, it grinds my gears in, in all levels of sports. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. I think like I feel like the bar is getting raised a little bit, like especially with the, with the Royals, obviously, but also with the Chiefs. You know, now getting that that playoff win under their belt because I, you know, mm-hmm. we have to remember last time the Royals went on their magical run in 2014. I think at that point the Chiefs still hadn't won a playoff game. Andy Reid was still mm-hmm. that regime was still kind of getting in place, and so the enthusiasm. I think the Royals were able to take that momentum in this town and kind of own the day. You know, now the Chiefs are. Uh, I think probably the closest they've been to being a Super Bowl contender in, in quite some time. And, and yeah, I do feel like, yep. I, I think you're right. The, the Royals are kind of like, I think there's a sense of like the, the door is closing and, and yeah, because we've been to a world series, like 84 wins probably isn't good enough anymore. And, 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 and I agree with you. I think that's, it's good when you're at a place when that's, when that's not good enough. I mean, we kind of make fun of St. Louis Cardinals fans for having such mm. crazy high expectations or, you know, KU Jayhawk basketball fans, but in a lot of ways, right. that, that's a good thing. To, that's a, that's a, a product of success, and and uh, you know it'd be great if the Royals ever got to that point. So, um, anyway, so you know, hopefully they can keep it going beyond this year. But it does kind of feel like we're seeing our last month with Lorenzo Cain, Mike Mustakas, Eric Hosmer, uh, and I'm really interested in, in in hearing what you think their legacy is going to be in Kansas City because I think most great franchise players in this town have spent most of their career in Kansas City. You think of like George Brett and Frank White. Willie Wilson spent most of his career here. Uh, but those guys are at least at least one or two of those guys are probably going to end up leaving in the prime of their career. And guys like Carlos Beltran and Johnny Damon that have done that aren't really well received. On the other hand, Hosmer and Mustakas have given us so many great memories, postseason magic. What do you think their ultimately their legacy is going to be when their when their career is over and they look back uh, and Kansas City looks at, at what those guys did? That's a really interesting question. I haven't thought about it all that all that uh, closely, but I like it. Um, I think I think guys are going to be clumped together. I think Hosmer and Kane are going to be a couple of guys who are remembered extremely fondly for helping bring an appearance and then a World Series victory back to this market. That's that's going to be, I think, very, very lightly tainted by them going to get a payday somewhere else. They're just gonna—it's gonna be the guys who who outprice the Royals 
And I don't, I don't think that fans are going to be able to hold a grudge against guys who went and got paid somewhere. It's, a, it's an open market. That's fine by me. They got the win part done. They went and got paid somewhere else. I think those guys will be remembered really, really fondly. Um, it, in a way, maybe sort of like a guy like James Shields a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he has had zero success afterwards, but I digress <laughs> to that point. Mike Moustakis is one of the two most interesting ones in this conversation because I think there's a really good chance that he ends up being the sort of Royals lifer who doesn't end up being a disappointment until the very end, you know, whenever he inevitably breaks down, gets older, whatever. That's the guy that I've been hoping that would invest in since before this season, actually, which now that price keeps going up, obviously. But I think that he has a chance to be remembered as as kind of like the, the, the star, even if that's not necessarily true or wasn't necessarily true at the time, because I think he could outlive, I think, I think, he, I think he will, I hope he will at least, outlive uh, Lorenzo Cain and Eric Hosmer here. The other guy, though, obviously, the, the kind of the elephant in the room, the elephant uh, in the budget is, is Alex Gordon. He's obviously, he's going to be remembered more like, you know, George Brett and, and Frank White by being a royal the whole way through. And I, I think, and I, I hope this, because I've been extremely critical of Alex Gordon, especially over the last few months, and extremely critical of Ed Yost for giving Alex Gordon significant playing time, especially after the trading for, uh, for Milton Cabrera. But I, I hope, genuinely, that Alex Gordon's career is remembered as an incredible high, an, an incredible leadership, an incredible success, bookended on, on both sides by really underwhelming performances. I mean, he, he, got, he got reassigned to left field as his career was, like, slipping through his fingers, and at the end here, he's going to make millions of dollars while hitting 200. I, I think that those things will be overshadowed by how he was in the middle, but that's the guy who I think has the most interesting, uh, who's going to have the most interesting uh, legacy from, the, from these teams. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Gordon has been kind of a, almost a polarizing uh, player with the Royals just because, yeah, you're right. He had kind of, I mean, he had such high expectations. He was the number one t- uh, two pick in the draft, minor league player of the year from the area, you know, from Nebraska, which is not, you know, Royals territory, which is part of Royals territory. And then he kind of just had that horrible rookie season. Uh, bounced back a little bit where some of the stats guys were like, oh, you know, he's actually pretty good. But I think a lot of people said, you know, he wasn't really living up to expectations. And you're right. He got sent to the minors to learn left field and to kind of work out his bat and revived his career. And even, but even then, I think, like, he wasn't putting up, like, huge monster numbers. He, a lot of his value was in defense, which is – you know, a lot. There's a lot of division on how to quantify that. So, yeah, that's interesting. And then, of course, now he's he's had the last couple of years, which have um, have not gone so well. So, yeah, you know, if he hadn't hit that home run off Familia, I mean, I don't know if if, if he has quite the legacy that that that'll have. You know, because of that, I think he probably has a lot more goodwill than maybe he, he might have had otherwise. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting point about his legacy as well. Um, you know, there was kind of going back to what we were talking about before. They've built up a lot of goodwill in the city. You know, this this city has really embraced the Royals, which is, you know, think about where they were 10 years ago. It's It's been really amazing. But the next few years are pretty uncertain. We don't know who's going to come back. What's How worried are you that the kind of momentum they've built up over the last couple of years is going to be just totally frittered away? And, you know, is there a chance that they slide back into 
the way things used to be. I, I don't expect them to kind of be that cheap, but like, you know, are they going to be a losing team for the next couple of years? And, and if so, how badly does that, you know, are, are Royals fans going to feel like they're just burned by, uh, by this, by this ownership? I don't think that the spending is going to go crashing back to earth. Um, I think David Glass is going to want to try to have a contending team again as soon as humanly possible. That's the, it's the mindset of an old owner. You know, I mean, if I'm going to spend my money, spend my money. Um, so I think they're going to be trying to keep up. I, I think there's a really good chance that Mike Musakis sticks around here and they try to kind of uh, convince everyone that they're building around Musakis and Salvi and Duffy and maybe Ronald Monsi. But um, with, with with that kind of even to the side, I think the Royals will stay like kind of like hipster cool for a while, uh, and I, they'll have they'll have you know a, a two or three year window maybe that to build a winning team again. I am concerned about the next few years because not only did they not trade away um, Mustakas, Hosmer, Kane, Vargas when he still had uh, a price tag worth worth selling for. Not only did they not trade away any of those guys to build for the future at the deadline, they went and got Melky Cabrera. They went and got Trevor Cahill and then the guys from San Diego. So I'm I'm nervous about the the state of the of the minor league system at this point. I think they'll I think they'll be again kind of middle of the pack spenders right now. I think they're a little bit above average um, with the, with their payroll. I think they'll probably drop down a little bit as these guys disperse. But it's not going to be It's not gonna be crazy. They're just not going to be as good because they don't have young up-and-coming talent the way they have in years, uh, years prior. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting transition. I, I'm, I'm like you. I think I worry about, uh, you know, I think there's going to be some really bad years ahead just because of what you say. They're, they just bottomed out and cleaned out the farm system. And if there's some really, mm-hmm. really bad years, I mean, that's going to draw. That's going to drive away a lot of the fans that will just say, well, same old Royals. And it's going to be hard to win them back, especially if, you know, if Dayton Moore, Ned Yost, I mean, probably more Dayton than Ned, but if Dayton Moore doesn't stick around, uh, then that that's going, to be, that's going to provide a lot of uncertainty that a lot of Royals fans won't stick around for. So we'll have to see. we still got some time left in this year, so uh, we'll have to keep our fingers crossed that the Royals can hopefully make the playoffs, maybe with an 84-win team and make some uh, more magic happen. Right. Uh, let's. I want to talk a little about sports media now that I have you on. Um, I guess, first of all, Sure. Talk about how you kind of got started in the business. I know you're, you're still like kind of you know on the rise. So how did you? How, first of all, how did you know that you wanted to do this uh, kind of as a as a job? And and, and how did you get started? Oh, I think I I think I figured it out as I went. So I think the I think the answer to those two questions are the same. That I I just sort of started doing it. I've always really loved sports. Um, and also I well I'll get to what happened later on. I guess the the first thing that happened and then answer both those questions at the same time. I went to I went to school at Mid American Nazarene University in Olathe. I live in Olathe now, um, and I graduated there in May. And so right at the very beginning, the first semester of my freshman year, I was put into this uh, multimedia workshop and started working for the radio station, which is virtually nothing. So the manager of the station was like, "Hey, if you've got stuff you want to do, just start doing it. You can use the studio." So me and a friend started doing a cheese podcast called Roughing the Kicker, which is still going on now in a little bit of a different form. Um, but that was the first thing we did. Later on, we started a podcast about KU basketball called Inside the Paint. That's still going on. Uh, I'm not involved with that one anymore, but it's still it's still rolling. But the other thing that I learned, um, this gets kind of artsy, but the other thing that I learned throughout the last couple years of of, uh, of college, as I was on MNU's improv team, is just how much how much fun uh, 
improv is and how much fun performing is. And it's one reason that I really like radio so much. Um, and I like having now like almost too much time to fill with sports. That's why the name of the show is Almost Entirely Sports, because I want people to know what they're getting into. Because sometimes that space that, that diverges a little bit outside of the X's and O's and everything is the most fun, where it becomes almost a long-form improv game. You're, you have notes, you have some things you know you want to talk about, but largely, you have to talk for two or three or four hours. I've done shows of all those lengths here and there. For two or three or four hours, and it's almost like a podcast. If I decided that I was going to have a coughing fit, or if I decided I wanted to stop and recollect my thoughts, or if I decided that I wanted to, to shift gears somehow then I could hit spacebar, Audacity would stop recording, and I could do that. I could, I could take a 15-minute break if I wanted to go make a, make a lemonade. Now, with, with radio as it actually functions, it's so different, and it's much more, um, it's much more of that like, improv game, like flying with, without, a, without a net on you, because you can't just stop talking for five minutes, or you're literally you're, you're doing the opposite of your job. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of like the mindset that I have about radio, which is also how I knew I wanted to do it, which is also sort of how I got started. I think, I think that all kind of weaves together somehow. Yeah, it's an interesting background. Improv, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. I'm kind of surprised yeah. more radio guys, uh, aren't, probably aren't, aren't into that, or at least don't get started with that, uh, cause that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I did want to talk about the name of your show almost entirely sports because i think it is interesting i mean i think we are seeing more uh sports interacting with pop culture and increasingly politics mm-hmm. um yeah. especially with you know so much of the news lately it's almost impossible not to at least talk about sports and politics and how they interact a little bit yeah. and i don't think i don't get the sense that you really shy away from that you know you know that half your audience or at least a significant portion of your audience is probably going to agree with you politically but there's going to be a significant population that doesn't how do you balance what you want to talk about versus you know alienating your audience it's it's really interesting and that's something that if this if radio works out for me that's a balance that i'll be working on for literally my entire life so what my, my mindset is generally now is that I'll, I'll give i'll give sports the kind of the the right of first refusal if anything is interesting if anything interesting is happening with the chiefs or the royals or ku or k-state or mizzou or whatever then i'll go there first but if the story of the day is, you know, the fact that the Ravens are talking about signing Colin Kaepernick and then that demands a different sort of conversation, I'm happy to go there. If something comes up in a pop culture way uh, that's interesting, I'm happy to go there also. I, Tony Kornheiser, another guy that I listened to a lot growing up, he said, you know, we'll forgive anything for smart and funny. And I, I love that mindset. So I don't, I don't think I'm going to spend much time on the show um, like, I'm not going to do the X's and O's of, of the healthcare vote. You'll probably be able to, to understand or to interpret my tone on things, and especially my, my Twitter is even more of an amalgamation of all of those things, because it, it all sort of falls under, I guess, my own philosophy of what I like. And I know that's dangerous, but, like, Levitard's success has actually been kind of, like, empowering. Um because what the Twitter is and what I hope eventually the show is as I continue to, you know, as it helps form itself, 
it, I, I want all those things to be a reflection of me, which is that I, I want to talk about all these sports things. I also want to talk about the sports things in a smart way. That's one thing that happens is kind of like the clown shows. Or sometimes you talk about sports and, and you just you sound like a buffoon. I hate that. Um, but if the most interesting thing going on is is something in a realm of a of a protest or whatever, I want to talk about that and share my my sort of my sensibilities with everyone else. Like whenever um, Marshawn Lynch was sitting during the national anthem and somebody else was earlier in the first week of the preseason. I talked for like like thirty minutes about how I, I don't think you have to even get into the content of something like that to appreciate the fact that that we should want more of that. I want the honest athletes. I want I want athletes to be honest from everything from from what music they're listening to to what they think about the president. I I'm very on board with with people simply being more honest and giving a true reflection of themselves, I'm not all that interested in in only ever getting X's and O's, breakdowns of things. I love it in in its dosage. But if you're going to give me, if you're going to make me listen to ESPN radio all day, uh, eventually everything sounds the same, except for Levitard. Because there are, there are personalities in there that I like and that I want to invest um and that I listen to and don't get tired of. And I know that he has his detractors also. And at some point, I think his attitude also is that if you don't like the fact that this show sometimes goes outside of sports or something funny or interesting or maybe even something important, then you can go listen to, like, Ryan Rosillo when he's not going to do that. Like, he'll just talk about sports. Um, we, we have a buffet in, in sports radio and sports media right now. Every every team has three fan blogs. Every team has a podcast. It, it, there's something on ESPN Radio all the time. You have so many options that I would rather try to. I'm sorry, this is such a long answer. I would rather I would rather try to connect the type of people that enjoy the same type of thing that I enjoy in in sports radio, rather than try to appeal to the largest uh, sort of breadth of of person. Because it's not as interesting to me. I don't. And I also don't enjoy it as much. No, that's that's really really cool. And I, I, it is interesting. You mentioned how much how much there is out there right now. Like, yeah, you're right. There are like, I mean, for a small team like the Royals, there's like you know three or four really good blogs out there you can listen to or read. And you know, for a team like you know college football team, I mean, there's probably dozens out there. Or, you know, for an NFL team, I'm sure the Dallas Cowboys have, like, hundreds of blogs out there. Mm-hmm. Or podcast, great, great podcasts you can listen to. And, and, and it's really yeah. just a much different landscape. I and mean, when I was a kid, the only sports talk we had in Kansas City was, and this is light 80s, to date, to, to date me a little bit. There was one, there were three hours mm-hmm. of, of sports talk radio on KMBZ. And that was it. And now, like, mm. you have, you know, three all-sports stations. You've got podcasts you can listen to. You've got national guys you can listen to. Uh, so yeah, it's a much different landscape, uh, but it's yeah. kind of changing a lot with the technology now, and I think we've kind of seen some of that with the layoffs at ESPN and Fox Sports pivoting mm-hmm. to digital video, and uh, you know, like you mentioned, kind of like team, uh, you know, players kind of interacting with fans directly through Twitter and, and the Players Tribune. Um, you know, you, someone kind of st- starting their career in sports media. How do you kind of see the sports media landscape? I know everyone's kind of trying to figure out how do we make money as professionals? Cause I know there's people like me that do this on the yeah. sides just for fun, but there's 
people like you and other people that are actually trying to do this as a career uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and everyone's trying to figure out how to do that in an internet age. Um, I don't, do you have any thoughts on like how, how this is all going to play out? Yeah, I, I think I have a couple of things that, that connect here and there. Another thing I realized that I didn't mention is the fact that like the reason I ended up working with 810 is because I got an internship and then I worked for free for a while and then eventually, you know, just climbed up a ladder over the course of like two years. And, and that was, that's been fantastic. I also feel very lucky about a lot of the breaks that, that came through that. But so the, the, the idea of that, that's how I'm now at a point where I guess I'm, where I'm making money by talking, um, with, you know, living the dream, but that, that's not easy or, or, or super repeatable. Making money online is so difficult. Like I, um, making, making money doing this is really hard. The other thing that's really hard is finding an audience. Like, that's why I, I think Royals, Sussex Royals Review, and I've, I uh, pretty early on partnered the Chiefs podcast with Arrowhead Attic. Getting, if you're trying to make, if you're trying to make content right now, if you're trying to put yourself on the map somewhere, make your thing and make it for, make it for three months until you, I, that's probably not long enough, but make it for long enough that whenever you go back and listen to your first three episodes, you like you hate it because <laughs> you're going to have, have improved and changed so much. Then go find your fan base, the, the listener base you're trying to reach, and then find something like Royals Review. If you're, doing a, if you're doing a Royals podcast right now in your basement, do it for three months and then email Max and say, hey, I'm making a podcast right now. Uh, here it is. I just want people to hear me. It could be free content for you guys. Does that sound good? That's going to be how I think the vast majority of people get their start. That's what happened to me with Arrowhead Attic, um, where I finally I was making the show for 500 people instead of five people. Because just finding an upstart podcast is super hard. Now, as far as like the industry in general, I think more and more, and you mentioned ESPN layoffs, this is an example of that, more and more... The people who make big money and the people who stick around for a long time are the personalities. That's going to be even more true as we go. There are a lot of sports center anchors whose names I don't really know and whose faces I kind of recognize, but if they disappeared from ESPN tomorrow, I would never think about them again. It's why Stephen A. Smith has a job, and a guy like Sal Palantonio, uh, I, think, I think he got fired by ESPN. The reason that is is because people tune in for Stephen A. Smith, love him, hate him, whatever. He is a personality. He is recognizable. It's why Skip Bayless can demand a big check and go over to FS1. And FS1, I think, has botched this in a big way, but that's a tangent we can go to if you want later, I guess. Um, but I think it's going to become increasingly personality-based because if you're making yourself a, a very like kind of cut-and-dry analyst, frankly, you're pretty replaceable because lots of people want to do that. Now, the hard thing about being a personality and, and going in that direction, this is something that's going to be, again, like I guess what I'm working on for the rest of my life maybe, is that being a personality, a personality that people recognize and know and like and care about is really, really hard. It's a reason that you can name, you know, five local sports personalities off the top of your head and you might struggle to get number six or seven. It's because it's, it's, it's pretty difficult a pretty difficult class to get into. Um, so 
I think as far as the direction of the industry or whatever, it's going to be increasingly specialized, as SB Nation and FanSided have capitalized on, uh, where you can find exactly what you want. You don't have to you don't have to suffer through ESPN talking to Braun if you're not interested in that. So it's going to be increasingly specialized and increasingly personality based. I think it's sort of a two separate um, evolutions, if you will. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the specialization thing. I think baseball, in particular, is already seeing that with you know national TV ratings are in the toilet right now, but local ratings are as high as they've ever been because. I want to watch the Royals. I don't care about the Mets and the right. Cardinals, you know, like, and I think you're starting to see that in college sports right. too. I mean, yeah. that's the emergence of their, you know, all these you know, conference uh, channels, SEC network, you know, big 10 network. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I couldn't really figure out where, you know, national uh, networks like ESPN would play in, but I guess your, your talk about branding makes a lot of sense to me too. So yeah, that's, I can, I can definitely see that. Well, I was going to say, yeah, to that, that point, that is the most interesting next thing, is what, what happens to ESPN. If you have lives, or through Twitter, or through Amazon, or through maybe some sort of terrestrial uh, stations, if you have the, the Royals radio network, or if you have the, the, this devoted maybe six hours of programming a day from, from this Royals network, why would a Royals fan go to ESPN? Because you're gonna already you're gonna already hear about you know the bigger stories elsewhere. I think if it does go in that direction, that's why ESPN becomes increasingly personality based, and that's also going to be one of the struggles that ESPN has. If I want to hear the national headlines, maybe I'll flip to ESPN for 30 minutes, but I'm I'm not gonna stick around unless the people who are talking about it keep me there. It's why PTI and Around the Horn and Highly Questionable all exist and continue to grow. I don't, I don't watch Around the Horn and then PTI because they're giving me different topics. They're not. Those two shows are, are using 80% the exact same topics every day because, you know, there's only so much to talk about. But the reason you watch all of those is because Around the Horn, you get four or five voices. PTI, you get Kornheiser from Robot. And the way they interpret it and the way that they are as people, that's what gets you to tune back in. Do you think radio is maybe particularly well positioned for this kind of transition since I mean you can have the ability to carry big you know big brands like the Dan Levitard show uh, or, or and but you can also be kind of niche with you know local shows whereas you know because we know you know ESPN and cable carriers are having their own issues with people cutting the cord internet no one's really figured out how to make money off the internet I think so far and like there was and newspapers of course yeah. know, are completely folding Uh is, is, is radio, which is one of the oldest medias, you know, mediums we have, is that the, the radio business is maybe in, in better uh, situated than some of these other outlets? Well, that's actually interesting. I hadn't totally run down that direction because radio is going to exist as long as cars have radios in them and cars aren't self-driving uh, because you can't watch stuff while you're driving. So it's going to exist in some form, but I actually do really like the idea and the point that if you're listening to... And I've, I've actually thought about this a lot as far as how local radio should work. If you're listening to ESPN Kansas City, or if you're listening to 810 in Kansas City, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that you're interested in, in hearing us talk about the Golden State Warriors. You know, there are, there are times and exceptions, of course, whenever a national story is kind of the only thing going on. But largely, you're tuning in to hear about your team 
as that specialization thing rules. So with satellite, I think radio does have a little bit, I'll say this, I'll say radio has a little bit of a head start. Mm -hmm. They have a head start. Local, local media has a little bit of a head start because people want to hear you talk about their team. The place I'm afraid that, that local radio stations are going to really struggle is to find the personality types that get people to keep coming back in and not in a way where you're just like stuck with your options because that's where local radio can get beaten. Is if, if you're listening to, to someone on whatever station and you go, oh man, I'm really sick of this guy, I'm really sick of this show, but these are the only things on in town. We got three stations here. It's playing this, this, and this. Nah, I, I don't, I don't like these. But okay, it's my only option. That's how it was five years ago. Not, not to mention ten or twenty. Five years ago, you go. Well, I want to hear people talking about the Chiefs or the Royals. How do I do that? I don't like what's on this station, this station, or this station. I guess I'll listen to my my favorite of the options. I don't care for. That is not the case anymore. Now you go, oh, man, I want to hear about the Royals. I don't like this guy, this guy, this guy. All right, here's the Royals Review Radio. Here's, here's Talking Royals. I don't think that's a real one, but I made it up. You know, those things exist in, in such volume now that if you're, not, if you're not unique, you won't stand out from that group. But if you're, if you're disliked, if you're, if you're abrasive, then I think people will go grab some of that, gen that generic sometimes. It's a really interesting cycle. We're in a very interesting place. Well, Josh, you're certainly one of the guys we like listening to, and I want to thank you so much for being on with us. And you can always listen to Josh uh, weekdays, 4 to 6 on 1510 ESPN, also on 99.3 FM. He also is really good about putting up his show on, uh, available on podcast form or uh, online, so look for it there. You can also follow him on Twitter at JB. Briscoe, B-R-I-S-C-O. Josh, so thanks so much for uh, being on. Max, you're cutting out at the end. I think I got it all. I think I heard you plugging all of my stuff, which is the most important thing possible, obviously. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you for uh, thank you for making the time. Now for me to join you. I, I enjoyed the role reversal in a major way. Awesome. We'll have to talk again sometime. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Royals Review Radio. I want to again thank our guest Joshua Briscoe for coming on the show. You can find links to some of the things we talked about during our discussion, and you can find all of our episodes at our site at www.royalsreview.com, part of the SB Nation Network of Blogs. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Royals Review. Our episodes are also available for download at iTunes. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and thanks again for listening.